until now, this is the word. Amen? So we're going to continue this morning. We're going to continue uh, in the strength of Jesus uh, and by the series that we started a few weeks ago. The series is called Authority. Church, can you say that with me? Say Authority. We're, we're continuing our series called Authority. We have, uh, we have been in this for uh, three weeks previous to this one. We began uh, talking about and asking the question, who has ultimate authority in your life? Who has ultimate authority in your life? Is it the court of public opinion? I know that rules a lot of our lives. Is it somebody in a position of influence? Do they rule your lives? Or ultimately, is it our Lord and Savior, Jesus? Does he have ultimate authority in, his, in your life? Because if he does, then there are some ways that your life begins to look. The following week, we talked about the power that comes from such spiritual authority. We talked about the descending of the Holy Spirit, and we talked about how when the church gathers to do what Jesus intended the church to do, that there is power to do things that most people would believe are impossible. And then last week, KT reminded us that we have been given the authority to stare temptation in the face and tell it no. To overcome the tricks and the ploys of the devil, the enemy, and the world. And to overcome as Jesus has overcome. And then this week, we will find ourselves in the Gospel of Matthew. So if you have your Bibles with you, let me encourage you to turn to the Gospel of Matthew. It's the first book of the New Testament, so if you know where that starts, you're already there. We're going to be in chapter 7. It's probably indicated in your Bible by the big number 7. And we're going to start in verse 28. If you don't have your Bibles with you, that's okay, because it's going to be right up here on the screen for you. This is Matthew chapter 27. We're going to read the last two verses, and then we're actually going to dip just a tiny bit into chapter 8. If you have it, say amen. amen. If you're looking at the screen, say amen. amen. All right. Matthew chapter 7, verse 28 says this, And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had, church, say that word, authority, and not as their scribes. Chapter 8, the very first verse says, And when he, meaning Jesus, came down from the mountain, Great crowds followed him. The fall of my junior year was the first uh, preaching class that I ever took. It was probably at that point where I realized that I was committed to this uh, incredibly useful and versatile theology degree. Appreciate that. We were in a night class. Our preaching class was on Thursday evenings. It started at 6.30. And the professor, who up to that point that I had never seen, walks in. He walks up to the podium. He sets down his Bible. He looks up at the clock over top of his glasses. He says, take note, class, that this is starting right on time, right at 6.30. Pushes up his glasses. And he invites us to turn to 1 Thessalonians. He says, I'm going to teach to you today out of the book of 1 Thessalonians. 
And he proceeded to preach a whole sermon to start the class. No introduction. No, hello, my name is Dr. Nope, none of that. No getting to know you. Straight to the word. At the end of his message, he prayed for us. And he looked back up at the clock and he said, class, I want you to turn around and I want you, or no, sorry, before he said that, he said, he said I, want you, I want you to take a guess. He said, don't look at that clock. How long did I just preach for? Somebody said 15 minutes. Somebody said 20 minutes. Somebody said 25 at most. I said, turn around and look at that clock. It was 7.30. He had preached for an hour, but it felt like 15 minutes. He taught with such authority that you couldn't help but be sucked in. That same fall, I started working at Hartford Middle School. Anybody here go to Hartford? Yeah, I, know, I would say at least a few of you did. I noticed you didn't make no noise, though. It's fine. We'll get, we'll get back to you. said, I ain't proud of it, but I went there. I went there. I started working at Hartford Middle School that, that same fall. And it was that fall that I realized how quickly a room full of middle school kids could get out of hand. It was then that I realized how dangerous it could be when a room full of middle school kids gets out of hand. Every teacher and adult in the room talking at the top of their lungs, hey, sit down. Who's that? I hate things behind me. It scares the heck out of me. Sit down. Stop talking. Don't move. Put that down. Like just screaming, top of their lungs. And then into the cafeteria walks this woman about this big. Maybe this big. Hair down her back. She, she says in a puzzled, calm voice, uh, excuse me, boys and girls? And everybody, including the adults in the room, stopped. She didn't yell. She didn't scream. She didn't even say nothing crazy. She just couldn't believe the pandemonium that was occurring in the cafeteria. Said, excuse me, boys and girls? And everybody stopped. The authority that she showed in that moment. You ever been to a restaurant? Your first time being there? And when the waiter or waitress comes over to ask what you want, somebody at the table is like, um, we're going to have, and they just order for you. And you don't even question it. Because you're like, well, it seems like they know what they're talking about. The authority. The authority is so real. You know anybody with that type of authority that when they just walk in the room or when they speak, they don't need to say anything crazy. They don't need to get loud. They don't need to do anything. It's just that all attention is on what they're doing and saying because that's the type of authority that Jesus had. We're talking about a crowd. We're talking about tons of people, more than what's in here today. And they were enamored. They were amazed, shocked at the way that Jesus moved and spoke. It's believed that when Jesus began this sermon, I don't know if you know this, but the end of chapter 7 effectively concludes what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew chapter 5. It's arguably the most famous sermon that Jesus ever preaches. And it's believed that when he began that sermon, it was just him and the disciples. 
that he was just teaching the guys that were doing life with him. And that throughout the course of three chapters, I mean, however long it was that he was talking, more and more people gathered until there was a whole crowd. But never did he take his attention away from what he was trying to communicate, the authority that Jesus shows, the authority that Jesus spoke with grew interest in the masses. And it blows my mind every time I read this stuff. It blows my mind at how, how he didn't feel the need to ever control a crowd. He didn't feel a need to ever control or manipulate the variables. There are instances where Jesus is speaking and it says little kids are like running around. And then the little kids got really out of hand, and they tried to run through the crowd up to Jesus. Oh, my goodness. Be like a kid running up here right now. Everybody be like, ooh, how's he going to handle this? It's okay. My kids do it all the stinking time. But these kids make their way through the crowd, and they run up, and the disciples try to control the situation. They're like, no, 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 no. No, 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 hey, whoa, hey, this is, hey, bro, hey, you're little, I get it, but this is Jesus, right? Back up, back up. Where's your parents? Nobody's going to admit it because you're the loose one, right? You're the wild one. Nobody's going to admit to being your parents, but somebody come get their kid. Number 407, whoever had 407, I need you to come get your child, right? Jesus says, hey, stop that, man, you don't, uh, we don't need that. Come here, let them come to me. Let them come to me. Matter of fact, let this be a lesson. I think back to when Jesus was preaching to another group of people that turned into a large crowd. The disciples tried to control the situation, right? Just like a real pastor would. A disciple's like, uh, Jesus, you should probably wrap this up because uh, it's getting late. You've been talking for a really long time. And these people are probably hungry, so you should probably let them go and go ahead and just, you know, wrap it up, pastor. Right? Ah, you're playing the keys a little bit long. You should probably just go ahead and wrap it up. Come on, ref, keep it moving, right? Just like any of us would. They want to control the situation. Jesus is like, first of all, don't tell me how long to speak for. I like to believe that's what he said. It's not in the text, but in my head, in my heart, because that's what I would say. Um, I like to believe that Jesus said it. But he he said, oh, they're hungry? That's the issue? Cool. Bring for me whatever we got couple pieces of bread, a couple pieces of fish, and he feeds the masses. He doesn't need to control the situation. Jesus leads with authority. I think of, <clears throat> I think of when Jesus is moving through the crowd. And I think of the disciples acting like bodyguards, trying to like box Jesus in and trying to keep the crowds from touching him. Keep them off Jesus. Don't let anybody near the Savior. Nobody get close to the Messiah. And then a woman sneaks through. And she grabs just the end of his robe. And the entire crowd stops because I can't believe somebody got close enough to touch Jesus. Especially as people are trying to push the crowds back. They're trying to control the situation. And Jesus is like, hey, stop. Somebody touch me. I'm going to pay attention to that person. I think of when the guards came to arrest Jesus. And the disciples were like, no, it's not going down like that. And somebody pulls a sword and they're getting ready to hit, they're getting ready to hit a soldier. They take a piece of his ear off. I think it was try, it was a kill shot and they missed. That's my personal, personal belief. And Jesus is like, hey, uh-uh, no, put that sword away. 
You're not controlling this situation. This is how this is going to go. It's by my authority that this happens. Jesus didn't try to control the crowds. He didn't try to control the masses. He didn't try to control the narrative. He didn't try to control the hearsay, the whispers about him, the charges ineffective or effectively brought against him unjustly. He didn't try to control the narrative. He, he, he led with authority. Let me ask you a question. I got three questions that I want to ask you this morning that we're going to process. It's a lot, I know, but I'm going to ask you this first one. Are you fighting for control? Are you trying to control the situation? Right now, somebody in this room is fighting for control of their job. Fighting for control over their own, what they feel is their livelihood. My boss is trying to do this. The coworkers are trying to do this. But I need to, I need, I need to have this done my way. I need, to, I need to try and do this. I need to get it shaken this way. Somebody right now is fighting for control of their job. Somebody else in this room is fighting for control of their finances. Right now, my bank account doesn't look the way that I want it to, and so I need to make these moves over here. I need to try and make something shake like this, or I need to, I need to cut this, or I need to move this. You're fighting for control of your finances. Right now, somebody's fighting for control of the relationships in their lives. I don't want you to feel that way. I don't want you to leave me. I don't want you to be around me. I don't want you to. I hate the way that you treat me. I hate the history that we have. I hate the way you're trying to control the relationships around you. Right now, somebody's trying to get control of their addiction. This thing that you've convinced yourself that whenever you have the sound sense of mind, whenever you resolve it in your head, that you can just cut it out whenever you want to. And then you try when nobody else is around, you realize that you ain't got nothing on this addiction, but you lie and tell your friends that it's all good. Right now, somebody is trying to fight for control of their own justice, the way that you are treating me, the way, the things that you have done to me, the way that this setup is against me, it's not fair. And I'm going to do something about it. You're fighting for control. Listen, let's keep it all the way real. I'm fighting with it right now. KT will attest to this. There's a situation that came up this week. I told, what did I tell you? I said, I said, I'm going to say two things. This is how I believe, first of all, how Jesus would handle it. I tell you this? I said, this is how Jesus would handle it. But if this is what you want to do, I got you. Let's handle it, right? We're fighting for control. Jesus didn't feel the need to fight for control. As a matter of fact, if you identify with that, and if you recognize that in some way you're fighting for control of some element of your own life, let me invite to you. Let me invite you to come to Jesus. Let me invite you to come and see about a man who knows your heart. Yeah, he knows the things that you've done. He knows the things that have happened to you. He knows all the surrounding circumstances, and he has perfect context on what is going on, but he knows your heart like nobody else does. 
And when you come to him, not only does he know your heart and he draws you in closer, but when you come to Jesus, he's the only one with authority to tell that thing that you're trying to control to go away. See, countless instances in scripture where people's bodies were under the control of something spiritual and Jesus with a word said, go away. And people were free. Let me encourage you, as long as you're fighting for control, come see about a man who has the authority to defeat whatever it is that's defeated you. Jesus' authority, though he could have taken control, he chose instead to rule and to live by influence. Church, say influence. Jesus never decided to take control of the crowds, to take control. He said, I will live, my Father's will is for me to live by influence. Jesus' influence is evident. Any encounter you read about somebody having with Jesus, they walk away different. You see a woman who is bleeding for years. Nobody could help her. She has one interaction with Jesus, and she's healed. You see the demon-possessed have an interaction with Jesus, and they're free. You see a rich young ruler who is more than happy with all he has, and even though he didn't repent that day, he went away different, didn't he? He went away sad realizing that these things he thought he owned, Jesus just showed me actually own me. You have an interaction with Jesus, and you're different. Jesus would speak. Jesus would lead. And people would change their minds about whatever they had made up. Jesus would, would speak, and Jesus would lead, and people would change their behaviors. In the Sermon on the Mount alone, we see Jesus elevate and lift up women and children. In the midst of a culture where women and children had no voice. We see Jesus say astounding things like, healthy people don't don't need a doctor, sick people do. That's who I'm here for. I'm here for the sick. I'm here for the poor. In a society that's just trying to get ahead, unrelatable, right? We see Jesus elevate education all throughout Scripture. It's told to us, write this down. In a culture that was dominated by oral tradition, meaning I would tell it to you, you would tell it to somebody else, Jesus had records of his life written down, which tells us that to Jesus... Reading and writing is important. That if Jesus emphasized being literate, it must be important that we pay attention to education. Jesus flipped on its head the idea of what success and what wealth looked like. He said, oh, you fought to be first? Well, in my kingdom, the first will be last. The last shall be first. Oh, you have everything? Oh, you, 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 you feel like you follow things to a T? You're real legalistic with the way that you live your life? Lose all of it and follow me. Amen. 
Jesus changed the way that we thought about prayer. He said, you don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go to the temple. You don't need to pay these taxes. You don't need to do these things in order to get just a peek behind the curtain and talk to God. Come to me and I'll take you to the Father. Jesus used his influence to change people's lives. Let me ask you question number two. What are you doing with your influence? Here's the thing. I know at least, hmm, let's not be prophetic. Let's just guess. Let's say eight people in here. I know at least eight, eight of you in here thought to yourself just now, well, I don't have influence. This question is flawed because in order for, to ask me what I do with my influence, you would be implying that I have influence and I have none. Well, that's a lie. That's a lie that you have allowed the devil to tell you, and I rebuke it in Jesus' name. Listen to me. Jesus makes it clear at the end of his ministry and as he is ascending into heaven, he makes it clear that the same spirit that fueled his ministry is the same spirit that he puts inside each and every one of you when you come to him. Jesus makes it plain as day that if you have the spirit of God within you, then all this that you've seen him do and even more is possible. And so if you can look at me in the face, and you can say you don't have influence. I can look at you back in the face and say you're calling Jesus a liar. I had a wise person tell me one time, he asked me, how do you define a leader? I was like, I don't know. Someone who's in charge. He said, I believe a leader is anyone with influence. And everyone has influence. You have been given influence that is part of Jesus' gift to you. That is part of the deposit that guarantees that you will inherit the kingdom of God is your influence. The spiritual influence that resides within you. And if you're not intentional about that influence... That does not mean that it just goes away. It means that you're probably unintentionally leaving a negative wake behind you. If you're not paying attention to the spiritual influence that is given to you, that does not mean that God has not given you influence. That does not mean that you're not using that influence. That means that you're probably accidentally affecting somebody negatively. You don't believe me? Let's think about our words for just one second. If you are not intentional about the way that you speak, it is so easy to accidentally offend somebody. If you're not intentional about the ways that you manage your schedule, oh, I'm coming for myself today. If you're not intentional about the way that you plan things out and put things in your calendar, it is so easy to accidentally hurt someone when you double book or you forget or you just miss it altogether. I'm just talking about me. I'm sorry that you relate. <laughs> the Lord has given you influence and he has placed you where you are 
intentionally. Because he expects you to use that influence around the people that he has designed to put around you. He expects you to use that influence in the places where you naturally exist. He expects you to use that influence in the things that only you know he's gifted you to do. Now, I can't get down and get out of your way without pointing this out. And I know that if my brother Eddie listens to this message back, I know for a fact he would call me out if I didn't point out this part right here. That is chapter 8, verse 1 says, and when he came down from the mountain. Uh I hear you. I hear you. I can't not point this out. How often it is that when Jesus would preach or Jesus would perform a miracle or Jesus got got done with the crowd, how he retreated almost immediately, how he would get away from the crowd. How he would go find a place secluded by himself to recharge and to be with his father. See, he knew he needed his connection and to be filled up by God to be able to continue. What does that mean? That means Jesus didn't pander to the crowds. He didn't stick around for feedback. He didn't check his timeline, his Twitter afterwards to see what the people thought of his message. He didn't follow up with somebody to see if the miracle stuck. He knew it stuck. He got away to be with the Father because he knew his entire ministry, all of the miracles, all of the sermons, all of the life and all of the influence depended on his connection to God. He ran away from the crowds. He didn't stand in the middle of it and take Instagram photos. He ran away from them. He got away to be with his father. Let me ask you this final question. How are you growing your influence? See, many of us are caught up in all of the superficial ways of growing our influence. We're finding ways to get more followers and friends on social media. Well, I know that if I do this and set up this this way, then I know that people see it in this hashtag and uh, tag this person. If I get this person to mention me on, we're so focused on our followers on social media. I know so many of us are, are, are eager. We're thirsty for that feedback. We're willing to change everything about us if the majority of people on social media say, say that way about us. Even in moments of speaking the truth, if enough people in the room disagree with you, you're willing to change your opinion even if you know it's true. We find ways to build ourselves up in the head. We find ways to build our knowledge up. We're like, I'm going to be the smartest at this. I heard people talking about this. I want to know about more, more about this. And we focus so much on building our knowledge because we believe that knowledge will give us more influence. Can I tell you a secret? Jesus didn't rely on any of those things. Jesus didn't pander to the crowd of public opinion. As a matter of fact, most times Jesus wasn't even speaking to the crowd. If somebody in the crowd were to be upset at the Sermon on the Mount, well, I don't think that that's actually what the law means. I'm willing to bet Jesus turned around and be like, that's fine. I wasn't talking to you anyway. (laughs) I was talking to them. You know what he said about the crowds? 
He didn't say, go canvas the neighborhood and tell them to come. He said, let those who have ears hear. And the rest, I'll pray they figure it out later. I'm paraphrasing. Jesus grew his influence. Not by social media, not by canvassing, not by pandering, not by getting feedback, not by putting out the most quality product. Jesus grew his influence by spending time with the Father. He grew his influence by deepening his relationship with God. If you want to grow your influence... If you see the way that people around you are beginning to respond to the way that you live your life and you want to reach more, then my encouragement to you is to, is to I don't know, grow your relationship with the Father. There's a parable about that, but we don't have time to get into that today. If you want to grow your influence, it's not found in video editing. It's found and flows naturally from your relationship with God. Church, we have been, you, you hear me say this all the time. God is infinitely more creative than we are. The people that you are around, the places you frequent, the time that you spend, it's all designed. It's all designed. It's all by appointment. And God would have it that you don't leave ministry in those places and to those people up to the pastor. God would have it that you don't take the perspective that ministry is up to the worship team. Ministry is up to the volunteers. Ministry is up to you. God would have it that you recognize he has placed you in those spaces, that he has given you those relationships, that that favor is unique to you, that I can walk into the same thing and I'm not received the same way. And with that, he expects you to use that influence. He would have it that you would influence those things in your daily life. God has already set you up to succeed. And if it doesn't feel like it, Perhaps it's because you're still fighting for control of the situation rather than trusting what he'll do with it. If you don't feel like he set you up to succeed, perhaps it's not your finances that need to change, but your perspective. It's not a coincidence that in this congregation right now, I'm looking at so many of you who work in healthcare, who work in education, who work in housing. And you've been placed in worship in a part of the city where we desperately want to see better education, better health care, more people at an opportunity to affordable housing. That's not a coincidence. That's a design. It's not a system that we intended it's the way God sets us up to succeed, to influence our surroundings. So here it is for you. Here's what I want to see as a church. I want to see as a church that we become disciples who begin to release control. Who don't seek to hold things 
so tightly. But we let open-handed, we become available. And we let God do with the situation what God is going to do. I want to see us become disciples that are intentional about our influence. First, we got to become aware that we have influence. And that if we haven't noticed that before, we've probably been accidentally negative And maybe we got some correcting to do. But with the influence, it's time to be intentional about it. And finally, it is not crazy for you to believe that God wants to increase your influence. It is not crazy for you to believe that God might have you speak to people that you never would have dreamed you'd be speaking to. That's not crazy. What's crazy is you trying to do it without deepening your relationship with God. The deeper, it's like a tree, right? Isn't that, isn't that the imagery scripture uses often? It's like a tree. The deeper the roots, the further you can expand shade for everybody else. Amen? Let's pray. Father, God, we thank you that through the wildest of circumstances, you still choose us. That though in many ways we have been lost and in many ways we have tried to control the narrative about us, in many ways we've tried to control our situations, we thank you that you didn't leave us lost in that, but that you find us, you encourage us, you lift us up, and you empower us to move forward. Lord, we would ask that in this time that your Holy Spirit would begin to bring to light the ways that we've been holding on too tightly to control in our lives. And Lord, we ask for the strength and the courage to let go. Lord, we ask for the encouragement to know the ways that you have designed us to be used to build your kingdom. Lord, I pray that whoever needs to hear that this morning would hear that right now, that God did not make a mistake in the way that he designed you. And we pray by your Holy Spirit that we would come to the revelation that he did it on purpose, and that there's a use for it, that it's beautiful, that it fits into a plan that is bigger than any of us could imagine. Lord, we ask that when we get caught up in all the things that you have us doing, in all the ways that life is moving, that we would be reminded to retreat, to get away, not on some vacation stuff, but on some regular life rhythm stuff, to hear directly from the source, to receive life from the author of all things. We pray this in Jesus' name. All who believe say, bless up.